0: I hope that you found the study helpful, or at least interesting. <laughs> um, I have spent a good deal of time, uh, as you'll know from week to week, reviewing um, information from the previous uh, Thursday, or even citing material uh, from several weeks ago. And uh, there's a method to that madness. I discovered long ago that repetition is really critical, particularly when you're exploring certain issues. Um, It's amazing how much we learn from, say, middle school on through high school and then into university and how little of it we retain. (laughs) But isn't it amazing how much we remember from the first few years of school? But it's a different teaching style. It's very, very, very repetitive. And I can't help but, uh, uh, when, I, when I consider that, I can't help but remember Peter's words uh, in his epistle when he, he wrote simply, um, I know that you're familiar with these truths, you even practice them, but I think it's needful for me to stir you up by way of remembrance. Uh, and, and so he was sharing these truths over and over. And that's sort of my approach here. And um, it may seem a little bit redundant and even cumbersome at times. I apologize for that. But there is a reason why. And uh, I, 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 hope, I hope it's effective. <laughs> Let's uh, turn together, please, uh, to Mark, the fourth chapter. We'll go to verse 20. We are continuing our study the parable of the sower and this is such a a um, remarkable parable that addresses issues which are central to the lives uh, of of uh, believers of Christians and especially to fruitfulness and uh, uh, and in many respects addresses. Issues that impact our communion with Christ. Uh, I, I am. Um, there's something so extraordinarily beautiful and inspiring about the the uh, creation narrative especially as as it relates to the manner in which God and man communed. Each day God walked with man in the cool of the day in the garden. Communing with man each day. How extraordinary that must have been. And then I think of the, the joy that must have been the disciples as they walked with Jesus. Have you ever thought I would so like to have been one of the disciples and walked with Jesus. If you've experienced the presence of Jesus, and and I'm sure you have, you know the the joy, an inexpressible joy that you encounter there. There is a, a, a degree and sort of fulfillment that we encounter and experience in the presence of Jesus that we can experience in no other place, in no other way. And these truths that Jesus uh, shares with us in the parable of the sowers speak directly to the issue of communion. Um, it deals with fruitfulness, but uh, as as we will uh, continue to see as this parable unfolds, so much of that is contingent upon our fellowship. With Jesus, not just our relationship with Him, but our fellowship and communion with and in Him, um, and we're going to begin broaching some of that uh, uh, in greater detail now, beginning tonight. So um, let's let's uh, again turn to Mark four verse twenty. Father, we thank you for your presence here tonight, in the person of your Holy Spirit, and that He is here present to teach us to lead us into understanding, to lead us into encounter with you. And I pray that we each experience that tonight. And we leave here tonight having experienced you, having encountered you, and our lives refreshed and empowered uh, through that encounter. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark 4, verse 20. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Now, this word accept, they've heard the word, which uh, which is essential. But then they accepted it, and, and uh, last week we talked about what that word uh, actually, uh, what it actually means. Does anyone remember? Hold fast. Hold fast. And Don uh, nearly pulled me over onto his seat as we illustrated that, but um, uh, remember Jesus introduces this parable by explaining that. The thief Satan comes to steal away the word which was sown, and he comes immediately. And so, uh, while hearing is essential, we must also hold fast to that word. Because uh, just as I as I demonstrated, take it easy on me tonight with Don last week. Um, it, let's pretend this is the word, and he's coming to steal away that word, and. So there's a bit of a tug-of-war, isn't there? You have to hold fast to that word, and you have to persevere in it. Okay, thank you, Don. That is a real struggle. Now, it's an interior crisis, so it's it's not as apparent uh, as it might be in a a struggle such as that, uh, but it is... Altogether real and extraordinarily consequential. He's coming to steal away the word, and so we we need to hear it and then to hold fast to it. Um, why? What is it so that is so um, threatening to Satan? About the Word of God. Turn with me to James the first chapter, please. I want you to recall for a moment Paul's uh, words, which he penned in Romans one sixteen: "I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for." or because it is the power of God. That's the Greek word dunamis. It's miracle-working power. It is the power of God unto salvation. Now, if you have named Christ as Lord, you have received Him, you've been born again. You were saved at that moment. But salvation is a process uh, whose outworking occurs over the span of our life. We have been saved. Today we are, we are being saved. And we will be saved. So this gospel of Christ, which is the power of God into salvation was at work in us at that moment, it is at work in us today, and it will be at work in us throughout our lives if we hold fast to it. James 1, uh, verse 18. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the, let's say this phrase together, the word of truth, or the word of God, forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among His creatures. We have been born again. In fact, let's, let's turn over to First Peter one twenty three. He says essentially the same thing. Uh, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. It's not just beautiful prose. It's not just a collection of meaningful and intriguing narratives. It is the living word of god the living and powerful word of god it yields salvation the word working in you produces fruit after itself we are a kind of first fruit the word of god in our lives germinated and is bringing forth fruit after itself if you If you wish to lead a fruitful life, then you need to be attentive to the seed that has been planted in your heart to carefully cultivate it, to uh, nourish it so that it can bring forth fruit of itself. We're, We're not bringing forth fruit through sheer willpower. It is the Word trusted. It is the word believed upon that is bearing fruit after itself. It simply needs a welcoming environment. Can you see why Satan would labor so desperately to separate our lives from the Word of God? Have you ever wondered why it can be challenging to read the Word. How many here, I want you to just be honest, how many have ever found it a struggle to read the Word? Oh my gosh, that's more than I expect. No, I'm just kidding. It's common to, to uh, every believer. Why do you suppose that is? Yeah. There is a spiritual battle that's being waged in our lives, subtly, craftily, to keep us from the Word. Paul said regarding uh, the matter of collecting together like we are here tonight, he said, don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves as the manner of some is. Why do you suppose that is? Well, it's here that we're, we're hearing the Word of God, right? But something else, Uh, Very important is happening here. We have collected together in His name. Which means we're not alone. Not only are we joined together ourselves, but He joins together with us. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. And yet Satan will work to find us busy, too busy, to read the Word or to collect together like this, uh, to hear His Word together and to experience His presence together. Understand this. Satan is terrified of the Word of God. Jesus was tempted of the devil. You'll recall, uh, he, he ha- I believe it was um, Matthew 4, he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And on three occasions there he was tempted. And and during each of those temptations, he responded simply by saying, it is written. And he would declare the word of God. It is a seed which he wishes to separate our lives from, but it is also a mighty sword of the Spirit with which we can fend off his attacks and his temptations. First um, Thessalonians, let's look at that uh, please. First Thessalonians 2. Verse 13, "For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received, what? The Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the Word of men, but for what it really is. The Word of God, which also performs its work in you, who believe. That's the good news. When Paul wrote to the church at at, uh, Philippi, he said and I believe it's Philippians 2.13, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now, I'm going to ask you as a believer, isn't it, isn't it a, a, the yearning of our hearts to lead godly lives, to reflect Jesus in the way that we live our lives, in the way we interact with people? You know, we, we want to lead fruitful lives. God is at work in you, both to will and to do that. We don't have to gin up the willpower to do that. We don't have to gin up the motivation to do that. We yield ourselves to the Word of God and allow it to work in us. L- listen to what Paul said here. Again, please. For for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. That's how God is at work in you. To the agency of the Spirit and the Word of God, He is at work in you both to will. That means to create the desire, the drive, the ambition to do these things, the motivation to do these things. He is at work in you both to will and then to do. He actually provides the grace with which to do these things we want to do in His name. And it's, it's happening through the Word again it should be obvious why Satan is coming to steal away the Word of God. Why he works so to uh, separate us from that Word, if we've heard it, then to take that Word away or to challenge it through uh, tests and trials in hopes that we will abandon it. Um, and and uh, let's look at Hebrews Uh, chapter 4 then. But the very word that He is coming to steal from us becomes the very word with which we overcome Him. Hebrews 4. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active. It is alive. It is full of energy. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It is living. It is alive. It is full of power, full of energy, and when you and I re- simply receive it and hold fast to it, that power of God is liberated in our lives. It's transforming power. And so, in, in light of, of that idea, Romans twelve two takes on a new significance. Uh, what, what are we commanded uh, in Romans 12? Twelve two to do. To be transformed through the renewing of our minds. Transformed. The word uh, uh, in the original text is "morta metamorpho. It's it's the it's the process by which a a um, caterpillar becomes a butterfly, a tadpole becomes a frog. Uh, I was fascinated by tadpoles as a, as a child. I guess every little boy is. Um, if you were to hold a tadpole in your left hand and a fully formed frog in your right, and you had no idea that one came from the other, you would never guess that they uh, were in any way related, would you? They looked so very different. The transformation that is possible within our lives is just so stark. We can become more like Jesus. I recall uh, as a young Christian hearing messages urging me on to lead a fruitful life, to practice any number of disciplines but the approach was very legalistic the 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 idea was we are saved by grace and after that you work everything else out on your own you muster up the willpower to do these things because it's pleasing to god and not to do them because it's displeasing to him and if there's anyone you don't want to anger it's him well that that um that That leads to a very unhealthy um, theology, a very bad theology. It impinges upon your uh, communion with God. It's It's tough. It's tough to commune with someone when you're certain they're angry and disappointed with you. It's the Word working in us. We are transformed through the renewing of our mind. Paul says essentially the same thing when he wrote to the church at Ephesus and just write it down. Ephesians 4, uh, verses 22 through 24. He tells us to put off the old man. In verse 22, verse 24, put on the new man. Verse 23 couples those, uh, uh, those two tasks together. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's how we put off the old man. That's how we put on the new man. Being renewed in the spirit of our mind. Can you... Are you, are you seeing just how marvelous this book is? How wonderfully powerful it is? I tell you, when I began to, I, was, uh, I think I was about 18 years old when I started really discovering these truths. I was attending a wonderful church. I kept my Bible with me. To be perfectly honest, I took it to bed with me. I slept with it. I don't know if I just imagined that by osmosis <laughs> I was going to receive something. Um, but I wanted it with me all the time. Um, I, in California, I was going to school out in California. I, I cut class a few times. It was courses I, I was doing okay in, but they didn't particularly thrill me. They were, um, what do you call them, electives? You've got to take them and I, 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 there was a, a particular place on campus that was just so quiet and wonderful in the morning, and I would steal away there with, with the Bible and read that instead. I, I don't recommend that, by the way. If you're in school, you should, you should go to class. Um, um, okay, now, uh, James, the first chapter. We, we, we spoke last week about the, uh, I, I think it's Luke 8, uh, 17, this parable uh, of the sower as it's related by Luke adds a couple of features uh, to the story. Uh, a different facet of truth, and that is that those who are good ground received the word of God with a good and honest or noble heart. And we uh, we looked at... Uh, uh, Colossians, I'm sorry, Acts, I think it's 317. Let me go back in my notes to last week. It spoke of the Berean believers who, who Paul said simply were more noble than those in Thessalonica. What made them more noble, do you recall? Reading my own notes, shouldn't I? I'm sorry. It's Acts 17, not three. Seventeen verses ten through eleven. Um, why were they more noble than those in Thessalonica? Do you recall? Because they came ready to hear the word. They came with an open mind. They came ready to receive. But after having heard what was stated, they returned, and they sought the scriptures to determine if what they had heard was so. In other words, they were indexing what they had been taught against the Word of truth, against the Word of God, to make certain that it comported with that. And if it didn't, they dismissed it. If it did, they humbly received it. And so humility and meekness is a real big part of hearing the Word of God. Are we humble enough to hear it and not dismiss it out of hand, pride will hinder you from receiving the Word of God. Humility is required. God says some things that can strike human beings as terrifically odd, foreign, bizarre. You, I mean, there are people today that, well, that's, that's uh, we know better today. You know, they, will, they, they won't necessarily condemn the wisdom of the Bible, but it's anachronistic, and so we can afford to uh, supply a new interpretation or simply to ignore it altogether. That is precisely the sort of thinking that Satan inspires in our lives in order to separate us from this word of power. I ask you to turn where to James 1.21. Humility, meekness is so critical if we are to hear the word of God and receive it. Verse 21, um, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted. I think the King James says ingrafted. Um, but it's the implanted word. So it's referring to the word as a seed, which is able to save your souls. Able to save your souls, So we must receive this word in humility as the word implanted, as seed sown in our hearts, because it's a living thing. John 6, 63, Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life he has said simply there is nothing like the word of god now i am a bibliophile i just have a thing for books i have thousands of them in my library and on a whole range of subjects i have always loved books i think i've always been an incredibly fast reader so by this time i was in the second grade they distributed reading materials that were to last for the year. I read it in like a week. So for the rest of the year, I was sent off to the library during reading, and they let me have full run of that library. They let me take reference books home. <laughs> I have always uh, enjoyed reading, and there are so many wonderful uh, pieces of literature out there. But there is nothing, nothing like the Word of God. It is in a class by itself. Because it is spirit and it's life. That's an extraordinary statement. When you read the Word of God, you are having an encounter with the living God. You're having an encounter with His life, with His power. Let's look at John, the first chapter. This is an extraordinary statement. explanation and descriptive of just what the Word of God is. John, the first chapter. John uh, 1, beginning with verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They were born through the word. Born again, as First 1 Peter 1.23 explains, through the word of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word of God. And this written Word is full of His life and His power, which is liberated when it is trusted in, when it is believed upon. Nothing was made without Him. Everything that was made was made by Him. This book in your hand, in your lap, contains that mighty power when you simply choose to believe on it. It will reshape the way you view God. Some of us have the most awful ideas about God. Just awful. It's not just that they're theologically unsound. They're heresy. (laughs) They're so destructive to the relationship he wants to have with us. Um, this this uh, word makes that come alive in your life. All of the fruitfulness that we yearn for as believers, it comes to us through this book when we believe upon it. Do you want to read more of the Bible? Here's the uh, important uh, truth, though, about this. Let's look at where we're, we're getting ready to close for the evening, but look with me at Matthew, the 16th chapter. Now, we've talked about the Word, this Logos, but it is, um, it is as I said, unlike any book. In fact, the Word is spiritual truth, and it can only be interpreted and understood through spiritual faculties. I want to say that again, and hopefully it's slightly confusing, and it will make you think. (laughs) The Word is spiritual truth, and it is interpreted and understood through spiritual faculties. Matthew chapter 16. Now, I want you to think a moment uh, uh, about the uh, unique relationship Jesus had with the disciples. They essentially lived together. They traveled together. They ate together. They were constant companions. And Jesus was forever teaching them. How many of you have read in the Gospels Jesus explaining to the disciples who He was? And yet, He was to them an enigma. They really had no idea who He was. Spiritual truth cannot be appreciated it cannot be grasped by the natural man by the natural mind in fact we we won't get there tonight but we'll see next week in first corinthians 2 that uh, jesus was crucified despite the fact that he had announced his mission how it would be achieved he was still put to death by the princes of this world and there's a there are, there are some scholars who say that is, uh, those are, um, that refers to demonic forces, to Satan and his kingdom, his cohorts. Uh, some say, well, it's earthly um, kings and kingdoms. There are reasons that that might not be true. And then there are some who believe its meaning is dual. It's addressing both. I happen to believe it is addressing both, and certainly um, Satan and uh, his minions, And, and Paul said simply, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, and yet he announced plainly, repeatedly, what his mission was and how he would achieve it. But darkness cannot comprehend the light. And the carnal mind cannot appreciate, it cannot realize, it cannot grasp spiritual truth. That's why humility is so essential. So the, Jesus had been traveling with the disciples. He's explained repeatedly who He is, and yet we find here in verse 13 of chapter 16, um, Jesus asked uh, his disciples, "Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say I am?" And they said, "Well, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. So they had a quick answer. They were familiar with the scuttle about town, and they said, "Oh." oh, well, they say you're this guy or, or maybe you're this guy or you're this guy. And then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? You could hear the crickets chirping. Silence fell over that small group of men. Why? He was an enigma. They really... He was a mystery that they could not quite figure out. Simon Peter answered... You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father is in heaven. I happen to think when Peter said this, he was as surprised as the men gathered around him. They were like, where did that come from? And he was like, "I I don't know. It wasn't as if Peter said, Well, I'm glad you asked that question, Jesus. I've been giving this some serious thought for some time now staying awake late at night while the rest of you were asleep. And it occurred to me, you're whom the prophets foretold. You are the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. It didn't happen like that. Peter blurted it out. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... How many of you have ever had that aha moment? Something suddenly became illuminated in the Word of God. You saw something that came alive to you that you'd never seen before. That is what we are going to call revelation knowledge. That's God revealing Himself to you and remember this when we're learning something about the word we're not learning something apart from Jesus when we are learning the word we're learning the written word we're learning about the living word we're learning about Jesus he's disclosing himself to us Christianity isn't some esoteric religion in which we we are we graduate from one level of knowledge and understanding to another we are growing more intimately acquainted with God the Father, with God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit. We're being drawn into deeper relationship with Him through what we're learning. Um, Okay, so we will close with 1 Corinthians 2. Let's turn there, please. 1 Corinthians 2. Did you have a chance to look through this uh, uh, sometime during the last several days? Uh, You might want to do that this this week. It's it's interesting. (laughs) It's very interesting. Uh, Paul writes some things here that uh, I think can lead to a lot of very helpful questions. Yet, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which I has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. That's interesting. A, a, a few interesting thoughts <laughs> provided by Paul there. Now I'm going to I'm going to I don't, you don't need to turn here. I'm going to just read to you as as I close. Uh, a prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. Now, I want you to bear in mind, he is praying for Christians. This is the uh, believers who are part of the church. This is the church at Ephesus to whom he is writing and explaining a prayer that he prays for these men and women who already believe in Christ, who already know Him. For this reason, I too, having heard of... Just listen as I read. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. Having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, men and women, who have already received Christ, in whom the Spirit of God... Is living. That God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power to us who believe. Now Paul prayed that for the church at Ephesus. The pastors here are praying for this congregation. This is something that you should want. Would you like to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation at work in you? Well, we can. You know why Paul was praying it? Because God wanted it done. Done in those lives. We're not not pleading with God. He gives us these things to pray because He wants to do them. But here's the important thing about hearing. Here's the important thing about holding fast. Here's the important thing. God will never, ever, ever violate our autonomy to do them. God works by invitation in our lives or He doesn't work at all. Prayer, prayer is not pleading with God. Some people approach prayer as if they're begging God, oh God, please! What would you think of me as a father? If I only responded to my children when they fell on their knees and pled with me, Dad, please, please, I'm so hungry. Please give me dinner. Ask a little longer. Stay on your knees a little longer. Lift your hands toward me when you plead, please. You think, what? You see, he's not just a dreadful dad. He's disturbed. He really needs some help. What is prayer? It's something we're to do all the time. Jesus said, pray without ceasing. Pray. There's a word that means that same thing. Always. Pray always. It's communion with God. But it's also an invitation. That That's why we pray. It's an invitation. We are inviting God to do what? What He says He wants to do. All of the promises of God, Paul wrote, in Him are yes and amen. They're given to us to be prayed and received. Remember, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer, With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. I'm asking and I'm thanking because I know it's your will for me to have this. You've declared it in your word. I'm giving thanks for it. That's what prayer is. It's simply swinging the doors wide open to God so that he can do what he's promised to do. And it is one more thing. It is shutting the door to the devil. We submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee uh, from us. Um, So Paul was praying this prayer because God, God wanted to do that in that church. God wants to do that in your own life. How many of you here, I'm not asking this glibly, I'm asking you seriously, how many of you here would like to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation at work in your life so that we can know? Know what? Well, know these things Paul has addressed, but I'm telling the great passion of Paul's life, and I'm sure the great passion of your life, Paul said his great passion was to know him. He counted everything but dung, that he may know him. This is what brings all of that home to us. We'll explore that more um, next week. That's not a tag to get you to come. <laughs> it's just we're out of time tonight. Um, but I, I, would, I really would urge you, please, to um, uh, take some time uh, between now and next Thursday and, and just read through 1 Corinthians 2 and, and think about it. Uh, and as we explore it next week, uh, some things I think can, can um, maybe emerge that uh, will be helpful to you if you spend a little time looking at it. And you might also have a few questions that we can explore as well. Father, thank you for uh, um, the word that you've given us. And we ask you now, Lord, to cause it to come alive in us. Give us understanding of your word. We so long to know you and to know you more and to know you more intimately. And we yearn, Lord, to lead more fruitful lives, to lead lives that reflect Jesus so wonderfully and so perfectly that men are drawn to you as you're lifted up in our lives. So we pray, Lord, um, work, work this word in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.